0: Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. Stay in the loop with what we're up to. Follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message.
1: Hey, people! Hey, it's great to see you all here tonight. Whether this is your first ever Veritas or you've been coming for a while now, we're really glad that you're here. Of course, this isn't exactly how we envisioned Veritas going this semester. We didn't think that we'd be meeting off campus. This is the first time we've ever done that. We didn't think that we'd have to social distance and wear masks, but here we are, and, you know, we're just really excited that we've got a space, a space to gather, a space to meet, and we're excited about what we think God might do in and through our ministry and in and through your lives this semester, If you're wondering who I am, my name's Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here at The Crossing, our church, and also one of the Veritas co-directors. Now, I certainly didn't always think that I would be doing this, working for a church, doing college ministry. In fact, uh, I was thinking about that the other day and realized that uh, 13 years ago, when I was still a senior in high school, I know, Wolf, right? Uh, Thirteen years ago, I was having a conversation with Ryan Wampler. He's a pastor here at our church. Back then, he was uh, overseeing Veritas, and and he asked me, he said, hey, would you ever consider coming on staff with Veritas, coming on staff here at the Crossing? And I'll be really honest, my my knee-jerk response was absolutely not, no way. Thirteen years later, here I am. See, for whatever reason, I've been thinking about that conversation a lot. It didn't seem like this at the time, but, but that question, that question that Ryan asked me that day at Booch's downtown, it turns out it's become one of the most important questions that anyone's ever asked me. It's one of the most important questions that anyone's ever asked me in my life. But what about What about you? What's one of the most important questions that that anyone has ever asked you? Think about it. What would you say? I get asked all the time, hey, why Why college ministry? And and, and I love working with college students. If you know me, you know that I love my job. I love working with college students. And and I have all sorts of reasons for for why that's true. But but I think one of the things that I love most is that this season of life, I I just love it. Maybe not this particular COVID season, right? But, But college, these, these four-ish years, however long you're here, it tends to be this season of life that, that has a profound impact. These, these years in college, they, they profoundly shape who we are, who we'll be. And I think that's true in part because college tends to be this time where, where all of us in one way or another, to some degree or another, we're asking and answering all sorts of questions, big questions. Maybe questions that that we've never asked before. Questions like, who am I? Now that I'm away from home, who do I really want to be? I don't want to be what others want me to be. Who do I really want to be? Who do I want to spend my time with? Why? Why? What's the meaning of things? I remember the first time I I had that kind of question for myself when I was in college. What's the meaning of things? What's my purpose in life? What do I want to do with my life? These are all questions that we're asking and answering subconsciously or consciously all the time. Now, of course, we're not the only ones asking questions, right? See, if you know anything about Jesus, and in in particular, if you know anything about his ministry, you know one of the things that Jesus loved to do— one of his favorite things that he would do was was ask people questions. Ask people questions. Tonight's no different, because Jesus has a question for you and for me, and it's the same question that he asked his friends, his disciples. We see it in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. We'll pick up in verse 13. This is what Matthew writes. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, that's, that's northern Israel, he asked his disciples. So Jesus asked his disciples, his followers, his friends, he said, who do people say that the Son of Man is? The Son of Man is just a title that Jesus would often refer to himself as. And his friends replied, some say that, that you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah. Still others say say Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. I like to envision that that Jesus is kind of nodding, he's listening, yeah, yeah, I've heard that, I've heard that, okay, good. And then he turns and he looks at his friends, these closest followers of his, and he says, okay, that's fine, but but what about you? Who do you say that I am? See, Jesus asked his friends, he asked his followers, who am I? Who am I? It's not just a question for them. It's a question for us. You see, and I believe, more than just a question for us, I believe that it's the most important question anyone will ever ask you. And not only that, it's the most important question that you'll ever answer. Jesus is asking you, he's asking me, who do you say that I am? Now, I would imagine that some of you are thinking to yourself, chill, bro. It's, it's week one, day two. I get it. I get it. But I don't know how long we're going to have together. And and what I'm saying right now is true. How you answer that question, it's going to have a profound impact, not just on your time in college, however long that is. How you answer Jesus' question, who am I? Who do you say that I am? Is going to have a profound impact on the rest of your lives. And because that's true from many different angles this semester, however long we get, hopefully an entire semester, we're going to spend time together on Tuesday nights going through the Gospel of John. And as we do, we're going to ask and we're going to answer that single question, who is Jesus? What does the Gospel of John say about who is Jesus? Who is Jesus and what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with us? Because following Jesus is never just about me, it's always about us. See, whether you know who Jesus is or or think you know who he is or or maybe if you're honest with yourself and others, you just aren't sure because you've got lots of doubts and you've got lots of questions and, and hard things have happened in your life and you just aren't sure. Well, my hope and prayer for you is that by spending time with us on Tuesday nights, going through the gospel of John, that you will encounter Jesus in a new way, that you will encounter Jesus in a fresh way, a way that changes your life and the lives of those around you. First things first, though, what what is the gospel of John? What exactly is it? Well, it's one of the earliest eyewitness accounts that we have of Jesus' life and teachings. It was written in the first century. There there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John was written last, and because John writes last, he says some things that the others haven't said, and he leaves some things that they said out. Despite being called the gospel of John, we don't actually know, uh, we're not ever explicitly told that John's the author. Instead of giving us his name, neither end of the book, he says that, that he, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, there's debate about who exactly this disciple is, but but Christian tradition, we can't get into it right now. Traditionally, this is thought to be John, the son of Zebedee, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, his closest followers. So we've got the what and the who, but what about the why? Why is John writing? Now, unlike other gospels, John tells us really clearly exactly why he's writing. John chapter 20, verse 31. It's almost the very end of the gospel. He says, but these things are written. These are written. Everything that he's written in the gospel, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, John wants us to know that the Jesus that he's writing about is real, The Jesus that he's writing about is real and that as we encounter that Jesus, the real Jesus, not some phony, not some counterfeit, not some cultural Jesus. No, the real Jesus, as we encounter the real Jesus, Jesus will slowly over time begin to change our lives. Why? Well, because of who he is. But that brings us back to our question, doesn't it? Who is Jesus? What does John say? Look at chapter one, verse one. John says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So, so the first words that we have in John's gospel are in the beginning. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, a bell's probably going off right now. You've heard those words before. Those first words in the Gospel of John are the very first words in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, where we read about God creating everything by the power of his word. We can't get into it tonight, but but in the Old Testament, God's word, it's often his his powerful self-expression. And so John knows this, and that's why he says the word was with God and the word was God. God's word is his own self-expression. It's who he is. God's word is who he is. But even more, John says later in verse 14, he says, in this word, this word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now we'll come back to this verse in a bit. For now, what I want us to know, what I want us to see is that John is telling us that this word that he writes about in verse one is Jesus. And so really what what John is saying is that in the beginning was Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Now, now, think about this for a second. I want us to catch this. There has never been a time that Jesus didn't exist. There has never been a time that Jesus didn't exist, never. He's always existed. In the beginning was Jesus. Before the foundation of the world was Jesus. Before anything was made, Jesus. Jesus has always existed. He was with God in the beginning, in verse 3, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now, that's, that's kind of redundant, isn't it? All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. What's John doing there? He wants us to catch it. He wants us to get this. Jesus wasn't just there in the beginning. Jesus is the one that created it all. He wasn't just there. He created it. Check this out. This is how Paul in in the New Testament book of Colossians, this is what he says. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says, for in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and catch this for him through him and for him. Not some things, Paul says all things, galaxies and atoms and and molecules and, and oceans and continents and animals and you. Jesus created all things. Jesus created you. Why? Well, Paul says for himself. You were created for Jesus. See, hear me. Your life is not an accident. Your life is not random. You have been specifically and uniquely created by Jesus, for Jesus. You have been made for him. Now that's not the story that our culture tells us, is it? That's not what our culture tells us at all. No, our culture tells us that we've been created for something else, not Jesus. We've been created for for success. We've been created for money. We've been created for sex. We've been created for a relationship. We've, we've been created for some experience. We've been created for approval, career. We've been created for the good life. That's what our culture tells us. Jesus tells us a different story. Jesus tells us that you've been created by him, specifically for him. Think about that. You've been created for Jesus, for Jesus. C.S. Lewis, he's he's an author you're probably familiar with, written a lot, Mere Christianity, Chronicles of Narnia. He said this once, he said, if I find in myself desires which nothing this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. See, a lot of us here tonight, myself included, we have desires We have desires. And if I'm honest, they're good desires, right? Good desires that that God has given us. But, But we're looking for those desires to be satisfied in the wrong places. We're looking to satisfy those desires in the wrong places. And Jesus is telling us tonight, I've got something better to offer. I've got something better to offer you. What is it? Verse four. In Jesus, in him was life. See, contrary to the the fleeting feelings that we get living in an instant gratification culture, the Gospel of John tells us that in Jesus is life, deep, lasting, non-anxious, soul-satisfying, thirst-quenching life. Don't you want that? You should. Because Jesus created you for it. Let me pause here so that we can be really honest with ourselves for a second. Where are you looking for life right now? Week one, a new semester, where are you looking for life right now? Relationship? The weekend? Friends? Netflix? Video games? Sports? What is it? Where are you looking for life apart from Jesus? Next question. Is it working? Wherever you're looking for life apart from Jesus, is that working for you? Maybe you're convinced that it is. And maybe you've done a really good job convincing other people that it is. But maybe you're here tonight. Maybe the reason that you're here tonight is because you know it isn't. And so you took that friend up on an invitation. You you texted for a ride. Maybe you came by yourself because whatever it is that you're looking for, wherever it is that you're looking for life apart from Jesus, you know that it's not working and it's a new semester and you just can't pretend anymore because it's too exhausting. I don't know all of your stories. I don't know why you're here tonight or, or what brought you here tonight. Wherever you're at, I'm really glad you're here. It's been great to see old faces and and I'm really excited to connect with those of you that I don't know to hear your story. But hear me say this, I hope that you'll get plugged into this community sooner rather than later. Because I think this community, I think this group of people, I think Veritas, I think The Crossing, I think the sooner that you get connected to this community, the sooner that you'll start to realize that you've been created by Jesus for Jesus, that in Jesus is life, the life that you want, the life that you've always been looking for, the life that you really need. See, what would change about your life if that was what you really believe? What would change about your life if that was what you really believe, that in Jesus was life? What would change about your life if Jesus was the one, if Jesus was the place where you actually started looking for life? See, my guess is a lot. A lot. So who is Jesus? He's the word. He's the creator. He's the life. Verse 4, John says, In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome it. See, Jesus says that that he is the light that shines in the darkness. Later in the gospel, we read it earlier on the screen, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Which if we think about it, it's good news and bad news, right? It's good news for those of us who know that we're lost and we're looking for our way home. It's bad news for those of us who aren't. See, not only does Jesus shine his light on the darkness of our world, Jesus shines his light on the darkness of our own hearts, exposing our sin, exposing our rebellion against him, our selfishness and pride, our idolatry, our quick tempers, our gossip, our materialism. See, none of our darkness is hidden to Jesus. He created us. None of our darkness is hidden to him. And you know what the best news is? He invites you to bring your darkness into his light. Jesus isn't repulsed by you. Jesus doesn't want you to stay away. He wants you to bring your darkness to him, to be changed, to be transformed over time from darkness to light. That's what Jesus always does. He always transforms darkness into light. And that's what he wants to do in your life. Slowly over time, will you let him? See, not everybody will. And in in John's day, not everybody would. Verse nine, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So Jesus creates the world and then Jesus comes to the world but the world says, nah. Don't recognize you, don't want you. Why? Because Jesus didn't meet their expectations. See, the Jesus that came to the world wasn't the Jesus they expected and because he wasn't the Jesus they expected, he became the Jesus they rejected. The Jesus they didn't want. They were disappointed because he didn't meet their expectations. We all know what that's like, right? We know what it's like to be disappointed by our expectations. I mean, who here hasn't been disappointed at some point in the last several months by a virus that we can't even see that has turned life as we know it upside down? Life as we want it upside down. Semesters are cut short, summer plans have been changed, trips were canceled, who knows what this semester, what lies ahead? This isn't what we expected. And for a lot of us, that's left us disappointed. So we relate to that disappointment when our expectations aren't met. See, the the Jews in the first century, they had long hoped for a political messiah, a king, a, a military ruler that would finally help them to overthrow the oppressive powers of the Roman Empire. But that's not the Jesus they got. No, Jesus wasn't a political messiah. He didn't come as a military ruler. He didn't come in triumph and power. No. He came, he was born to a teenage virgin in a small backwater town in northern Israel. And instead of asserting his power, Jesus often laid his power down instead of being served as, as great kings often were? Well, Jesus says that he came to serve others. He came to sacrifice. He came to give his life as a ransom for many, a ransom for you, and a ransom for me. See, the people of Jesus' day, they had the wrong expectations for who Jesus would be, and because of that, they didn't recognize him for who he really was. Now, we gotta be careful here, Right? Like, it's easy to read this with hindsight and say, yeah, you guys blew that. But if we aren't careful, we're going to do the same thing. Because it's really easy to slip into the trap of missing the real Jesus because of our wrong expectations about him. Expectations that lead us to think that Jesus exists simply to make all of our problems go away. Expectations that lead us to think that, that, that our political preferences are, are Jesus' political preferences. Expectations that lead us to think that, that Jesus should give us whatever we want, whenever we want it. Expectations that lead us to think that, that Jesus is always open-minded, always all-loving, and never judgmental that Jesus only really cares about Sunday morning and church things like Veritas. He doesn't care about the rest of the week. What kind of expectations do you have for Jesus? What kind of expectations do you have for Jesus? More importantly, how are those expectations of Jesus shaping your understanding of who he is? See, what I want you to hear right now is don't miss the real Jesus for a cultural phony. Don't miss who he really is because he doesn't meet your expectations. Spend some time with him. Get to know the real Jesus. That's what he wants. That's what Jesus wants. He wants to get to know you. He wants to spend time with you. How do we know that? We'll go back to John 1.14. The word became flesh. And what? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, don't take that statement for granted. Don't don't easily gloss over it. Think about it. God chose to make himself known in the person of Jesus. He came to be with us knowing full well that people wouldn't recognize him. They wouldn't want him. They'd reject him because he didn't meet their expectations. Why come? Why, Why like this? Soren Kierkegaard, he's a uh, Danish philosopher. He, he tells a parable. It's a story of sorts that, that I think helps us with this question. Why did Jesus come like this? He says, uh, imagine a, a great king who, who has great, uh, a great kingdom and great armies and great power and great wealth, and imagine that this king is, is out riding one day with, with his men, and he spots a woman in the distance in a field. Now, this woman, there's, there's nothing particularly uh, eye-catching about her. There's nothing particularly impressive about her. She's, she's a common woman with common clothes, working a common job. And though she was obviously poor, for whatever reason, the great king wants to get to know her. But he thinks to himself, he's like, okay, so, so I want to get to know her, but how do I know if she'll be really interested, if she's actually interested in me, or if she's interested only in the things that I can get her because I'm the king? And so what he does, he leaves his palace, he leaves his kingdom, he leaves, leaves his great wealth, and he goes to a common village and gets a common hut and gets common clothes and gets a common job, and he starts working in the same common field as this woman. Eventually they meet, and they begin talking and spending time together and, and over time they they fall in love and and the great king he he proposes to this common woman but he doesn't reveal who he is he says I want to marry you and she says yeah okay and so he says great I'll take care of the wedding I'll plan it all just have a dress and be ready on our wedding day that wedding day comes along and, and, and she hears from inside this great commotion outside and she goes outside and she looks and, and she sees chariots and horses and, and trumpeters and banners and a great fuss and they whisk her away to the palace. She has absolutely no idea what's going on. She gets to the palace confused. She sees the great king decides, I'm gonna go and ask, where is my husband? And it wasn't until that moment that she realized that the great king was the man that had proposed to her. Why, she says, why do this? Why, why not tell me who you were? And he said, because I wanted to make sure, I wanted to know that you really loved me, not what I could do for you. I wanted to know that you really loved me. But now I do. I see that you love me. I experience your love. And guess what? Because you love me, we'll live together in this palace. We'll live together in this kingdom. We'll live together and all of this will be yours. See, Kierkegaard, he he tells this story. It's not a perfect story. But he tells this story to give us a small picture. It's a small picture of what God has done for us in Jesus What God has done for us in Jesus, the humility of a great king. A great king who at great cost to himself, he came to dwell, he puts his position, uh, he puts himself in the position of a commoner to win the love of his bride and spend forever with her. see, that's what Jesus wants to do in your life. He wants to bring you to the palace. He wants to bring you into his family. He wants to make you an heir of all that is his. But first, we have to love him. Not just what he can do for us because he's the king, but because of who he is, we have to love him. Do you? Do you love Jesus? See, John starts his gospel. He wants us to know that Jesus is the word. Jesus is your creator. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the light. And he came into the world to be with you forever if you love him. So music team comes back up. I want to put John 20, verse 31, back up on the screen. I want us to look at it one last time. This is what it says. It says, but these are written. All that I've written, John says, I wrote it all so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing that Jesus is the Messiah, that believing that that Jesus is the Son of God, that you would have life in His name. So, going back to our question who's Jesus? He's not some philosopher. He's not some good moral teacher. He's not your homeboy. No, he's the Messiah, John says. He's the son of God, the great king, the word who became flesh to be with you and me. That's who Jesus is. See, that's the Jesus, the real Jesus that John wants us to encounter in his gospel so that by believing in him, you and I would have life in him. See, I'll be really honest. I have no idea what the next several weeks, what this semester is really going to look like. I don't know what's coming. I don't know what's going to happen. But here's what I do know. Here's what I do know, that wherever you're looking for life apart from Jesus, wherever that is, whatever that is, wherever you're looking for life apart from Jesus will fall infinitely short. It will fall infinitely short of what Jesus has to offer you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas visit us online at com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.